Welcome to episode 232 of Live Happy Now. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, thanking you for joining us again this week. Now, it comes as a surprise to exactly zero people that we're facing an addiction to our digital devices, and that's having a huge effect on our lives, both at home and at work. Today's guest, Pete Dunlap, is leading the charge for what he calls humane technology use. His book, Digital Detangler, A Guide to Mindful Technology Use, won the Next Generation Indie Book Award and the Independent Press Award in 2019 for its thoughtful examination of technology and his insight on how we can better use it. He also started Digital Detangler Family Services, which helps families address the crisis of tech addiction together. Pete, welcome to Live Happy Now. I'm really excited to have you today as a guest. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, Paula. Well, you know, this is a topic that we look at a lot here at Live Happy Now because it really seems that the digital world is playing a significant role in our anxiety and our unhappiness. One of the things that you talk about is that technology overuse can even cause mental health problems. So can you start by telling us how technology is affecting our mental health and what kind of problems it's creating? Yeah. So to me, this is a really important question. So is the way that we're using technology causing mental health problems? And there are various people who will give you different opinions, but most of it, and I just listened to your your podcast with Kelly Harding, which was really, really great. And I think a lot of it goes back to some of the things she was talking about, about the way we interact socially. And so the extent to which our technology use affects our social lives is probably the extent to which it impacts our mental health. And so generally, when we talk about uh, the way technology is impacting mental health, we're looking at things like social media. And so there have been studies, for example, a thousand person study out of the University of Copenhagen. And what they did is they took half of the people and they made them use less social media. The other half use social media as they normally would. And so by doing a controlled study, they were able to actually point at it, at it causally because there have been a lot of studies sort of suggesting depression, anxiety, sleep deprivation. These types of things were correlated with your technology use. But, but how could you say you know, that, that it wasn't that people who were sad go online to sort of soothe that and feel more connected? And so what they found, though, is that in, and this has been replicated at the University of Stanford and the University of Pennsylvania and smaller sample sizes. But what they find consistently is that if you make people spend less time on social media, they report being happier. And so that's kind of across the board. And that's a, a big thing. I would say what you're doing on the screen really matters in terms of your mental health. So if you're passively consuming content, whether that be Netflix, watching YouTube videos over and over, whether you're, you're talking about social media, scrolling through a newsfeed, those types of activities tend to be more associated with mental health outcomes that are negative. Whereas when you talk about kind of being an active participant in your technology, if you talk to young people in particular, there's a lot going on around comparing yourself to other people online through social media specifically. And how is it drawing us in so much? Because there's people who truly have a tech addiction. And what, what is yeah. happening in our brains that's causing that? Yeah, so, you know, I don't talk too much about the brain because the brain is extremely malleable. But what I will say is that it is not an accident that everyone is always on their smartphones, right? It is, <laughs> it's a number of things. I would say one is social media and internet-connected gaming came about in the late 2000s. 
And they kind of introduced us to this idea that the internet is not just a place to get information. It's a place to spend time, to play, to socially engage and entertain ourselves. And then smartphones allowed us to entertain ourselves nonstop. So I always say, if you want to do anything in 2019, like absolutely anything with your life, from engaging with a friend at a coffee shop to kind of starting an organization that changes the world, you absolutely have to resist being entertained. And so that's a piece of it. And then the other side, though, is that tech companies in particular have been absolutely on the front edge of manipulating our behavior as users. So if you look at Snapchat, which is one of the fastest growing social media apps, what you see is they have an, a feature called Snap Streaks. And so this keeps track of how many days in a row you message your friends back and forth. Oh, wow. And so I have a cousin who's in college and she sends me screenshots occasionally. She has a streak that was 679 days in a row that she has messaged her friend back and forth. And so this <laughs> creates this kind of, I mean, these are fake internet points, but at the same time, this becomes this badge of their friendship. And the flip side of it is the, or the reason that this exists is because Snapchat reports to their investors the percentage of users that are daily active users. So because of features like this, they now have more daily active users than Twitter. And folks, particularly young people, don't realize the way that the UI is manipulating them. Another example of this is Facebook's newsfeed. If you, if you go on Facebook and you look at the newsfeed, it's not in chronological order. So if you were designing this just, you know, in the next 10 minutes, you'd frantically draw it out. You would almost, almost always, you would put the newest stuff at the top and you would imagine people scrolling back into the past. And what they find though, is that when people do that, once they see something that they've seen before, they close the app. They get this cue in their brain, like stop, stop looking at Facebook. And that's not good because they need people to continue looking at the app to get those ad impressions to, to drive their revenue. And so what they do is they scramble it up so you could always keep scrolling down and you might see something newer. And so those are the types of things that have been done to get people to keep using these apps over and over somewhat compulsively. The environment is such that if you look over someone's shoulder while they're using their smartphone, what you'll find is that very rarely are people staying in the same app for a long period of time. They'll check Instagram, then they'll flip over to Snapchat, then they'll flip over to the browser, then they'll flip over to their texts. And so we're constantly switching between things. And the research on multitasking tells us that this is, this is bad <laughs> in, the, in the sense of a lot of people explain multitasking in that you know, you're less productive. You can get less done in the same amount of time. But Gloria Mark at the University of California, Irvine, has, has looked over people's shoulders for too many hours to count. And what she finds is that people who multicast do get things done in the same amount of time, but they have this mental cost to it. So absolutely, you do, you do get your work done, you do get everything done, but you do so at this higher frustration level, you feel more stressed, you feel like you have more to do than you really in fact do. And so there's and this cost in terms of burnout. Th that's something I want to ask you about because we were having this discussion in our house just last night about a friend and... <laughs> who is very addicted to the phone to a point where it's becoming a problem. And she talks a lot about, I'm stressed out. I'm just so stressed. And it's like, wow, what, you know, when you break her life down, there's, there's not things like major life events going on, but she has this super high anxiety level and we can't pinpoint what that's even based on. So how is that, what's that correlation between that anxiety and our digital use? Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's rare that you talk to a family 
that is not in some sense <laughs> dealing with this exact issue. There's a few things that I would recommend for families in particular. One is absolutely framing technology use as an issue for the entire family. It's not just a young person thing. And often I think when we interact with young people, we kind of think they're more addicted than we are. And sometimes that's true and, and sometimes it's not. And so I encourage people to use a tool like Rescue Time and Rescue Time installs on all your devices and it tracks everything. So you can go back a week later and look at where your time went with your devices iOS now has screen time pre-installed so that everybody has access to that information on iOS devices. So what you can do is you can get a sense of it. And if you approach it as a family, that tends to lead to more productive conversations. You know, I work with families sometimes and, you know, having a conversation about, you know, a, a son's video game problem is much easier if we just talk to, to mom or dad about how much time they're spending messaging and watching YouTube all day. And so those types of conversations need to be had as a family. And, and as parents, I don't think we lose power to express our vulnerability that we are also trying to figure this out and trying to navigate it. The other thing I, I think is really crucial, particularly for young people, is young people today spend an hour less every single day with their peers. So they're less oh, really? in person with their friends. And not only that, but I think that a smartphone being present we know from studies diminishes your experiences of closeness and trust. So every, if everyone has their smartphones, when they're together, they're, they're feeling less close to their friends. And then this is compounded by the fact that often what you do is you text people instead of calling them. And what researchers have found, so there was a study with 68, 7 to 12-year-old girls. And they took these 68, 72 year old girls and they stressed them out by making them do math in front of other people. <laughs> and then they divided them up into four groups. And so one group got no support from mom. One group got text messaging from mom. One group got mom in person. And then the, the final group had, had a phone call with mom. And what they found when they looked at their cortisol levels, which is their stress hormone, and then their, their oxytocin levels, which is kind of the love hormone, is that when you look at no support whatsoever and and text messaging support, they look exactly the same. And when you look at a phone call and being in person, it looks exactly the same. Oh, interesting. And so there is a lot coming through in phone calls. And what I think is probably driving some of these, these mental health problems and this anxiety and loneliness that a lot of young people feel is that they absolutely are much more okay with admitting that they're having mental health problems. And that is wonderful. But what I think is a problem is when they reach out to their friends and then their friends feel like they're supporting them by texting them back and forth when really they have to, they absolutely have to pick up the phone and make a call and experience that vulnerability and that, that danger of having a conversation with someone else where you don't have time to kind of frame what you're saying and you don't have time to couch what you're saying in certain things. But I think that's absolutely crucial, having those in-person or through the phone connections with other people and peers. But how do we start as a society moving back toward that? Because it's not like this is an isolated problem and it's only getting <laughs> more pronounced, you know. So, so how do we start turning that tide? Yeah. 
So I'm a huge fan of, of working on your environment as opposed to kind of gritting your teeth and being like, I'm never going to text anyone. I'm just calling. <laughs> and so what I would say is as much as possible, changing your digital environment is, is the way to have kind of lasting behavior change around your technology use. And so that sounds very highfalutin. But what I mean by that is if you're talking about your phone specifically, so removing any apps from your home screen except for tools. So something that you would go onto your phone to use productively. So, you know, for example, flashlight is a tool. Your messaging is a tool. You know, your clock is a tool. Those types of things. Whereas not letting things with a lot of notifications with that red dot that's going to pop up and distract you onto your home screen. So you're not just pulled into that instantly. And then prioritizing human notifications. So what I mean by that is if somebody is messaging you, if another person is reaching out, I think that's important to know about. Whereas if somebody tags you in a photo or somebody comments on a comment of a comment of a photo you were tagged in, <laughs> I don't think it's worth having a notification over or being interrupted by. So limiting those notifications, except for the human, human-centric human ones, and then limiting distracting apps. This, this did not even used to be possible, but fortunately, Apple installed that screen time by default, and now you can set limits. So whether you're somebody who wants to spend two hours instead of three hours on Instagram every day, or whether you're somebody who wants to go from 30 minutes to 20 minutes, you can absolutely do that and, and set a limit for yourself. There's an app on Android called App Detox that allows you to do the same type of thing. Oh, that's fantastic. And then I also really push people to think about what they do on their phone versus what they do on their laptop. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And I encourage people to shift to the laptop. And the first reason is that your, your phone is primarily a media consumption device. Right. It's absolutely great at scrolling through a news feed, double tapping to like things, getting on that thumb treadmill. And if you get an email, for example, on your phone that's very important and requires a thoughtful response, you must always shift over to the laptop because it has that, that built-in keyboard which suggests input from the user, not just kind of consumption. And the other thing is that your phone, generally speaking, is out, whereas your laptop is put away while you're driving and while you're eating with other people. So anything you can get off of your phone and onto the laptop, I, I think is a big win. And then the last piece I talk about is if you're on the laptop, how to spend time more productively on your laptop. And I would say turn autoplay off of anything. So whether it's YouTube, Netflix, you can stop those, those next videos from starting after you finish a video. That actually leads into one of the other things that I use is a Chrome extension. So I talk about Chrome extensions because Chrome is the largest browser by sort of the, the percentage of users that use it. And what these Chrome extensions do is they change the internet in some way. So StyleBot is one of my favorites and it allows you to click on something and then click a button that says hide. And so you can remove pieces of websites that you go to frequently. So for example, that what's up next on your, on your YouTube videos, you can make YouTube such that all it is is a place where you go to see videos or that you, you have a link to a video and you watch the video versus I think now 70% of YouTube views are generated by their algorithm, are no longer people actually making an active choice about the, what they're going to watch. And then I'll just, my very last one I'll mention is probably my favorite, which is Wismage Image Hider. And it removes images from the entire internet when you're browsing. Oh boy, that's going to change everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you feel like you waste time online, like removing the images will stop you in your tracks because 
so much of, of how we're pulled around the internet is, is from images. And we just, we react to it. I think uh, Scott Galloway wrote a book called The Four, about the four biggest tech companies. And he says that we respond to images 60,000 times faster than text. So in our evolutionary history, text is really still brand new. And so we respond to text in a, in a visceral way. And a lot of websites like BuzzFeed, for example, what they do is they test their images. So when they first have an article go out, there are several different images that people are getting access to. And then quickly they figure out this is the image that is going to get people to click it most. And so if you remove that, that ability to see all the images, it really transforms your, your ability to stay focused online. And I will say there are a couple of caveats. You can hold down Alt and A and it will show you an image. <laughs> so you can get through and you can also mark certain websites as completely excluded from that. For example, shopping is pretty hard without images. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, those shoes sound lovely. So click on that. And really Absolutely. what you're talking about is mindful technology use. And you've written a book about that and you provide a course to help me people make these changes. How hard is it to change? Because as you're giving these fantastic tips, I think about people that I know and how difficult it might be <laughs> to get them to get on board with that. So I guess it's a it's a yeah. two part question. Like one, how do you get people on board to make the change? Because it's kind of like diet, exercise, anything else, you know, where it's like you've got to commit to that change. And then how difficult is it to actually implement those changes? Yeah. So it is a challenge to change your behavior, no matter what. That's kind of why I, I recommend people changing their environment. So setting up things like, you know, when you when you go into your house, putting your smartphone on top of the refrigerator. So you can still hear phone calls, but you're not always kind of having it in your palm. And then the other thing I think is, is worth pointing out is that people really care about this. And one of the misconceptions is that young people don't care about this. Pew released a, a survey of teens just this past year, which said that 57% of them are actively trying to spend less time on social media. So it's absolutely not the case that, you know, the only people who care about using technology too much are the people who don't use technology much and are kind of wagging their fingers at other people. As you pointed out, the, the tricky thing is, sure, I care about it, but like, can I do it? And how can I figure out to do it? But what I've found is that people are doing all kinds of things. So I just spoke to a, a university group and one of the students said, you know, he was just getting wrapped up in Instagram too much. So we've removed all of his social media until he got his grades back up and then until he felt more in control of it. And then he went back on. And so to me, it's, it's about who's in control. Can you control your own use? And how can you, you know, partake in social media in ways that, that can be useful for you to support those in-person connections and allow you to have connectivity with people maybe you wouldn't have access to otherwise, but at the same time, get the sort of junk and the distraction out of your life. And so there's a number of things people are doing, and I think with varying degrees of success, honestly, that's the thing, that's the thing that kind of keeps me up at night. I think, it, I think it really helps if you have a friend that you can do this with particularly if you're in high school or college, it can be very difficult to, to stop using some of these compulsive technologies because that's where maybe you have social connections from it. And a lot of your friends are, are still on it just because you make a choice to leave something. And so if you can support each other in that, changing your technology use, 
and then just building up physical barriers, you know, keeping your phone, not charging your phone where you sleep. I think that's a huge one. And there's all kinds of these little tweaks, putting your Wi-Fi on an outlet timer such that at the very end of the night, it, it turns off your Wi-Fi. So you're, you're looking at your phone and all of a sudden your internet stops working and switches <laughs> yeah, over to mobile. That's you know? going to be a buzzkill. And, like, <laughs> and you're like, oh man. And absolutely, you can, you can just go and you know, turn it back on. But it, it just, we need better defaults around our technology use. A lot of it is set up as if we're just these rational robots that can kind of choose from an array of options. And the fact is there are certain things that are kind of this digital junk food, digital candy that we are attracted to. And if we want to, if we want to do meaningful things with our lives, we have to pay attention to that. I always say like, if you're trying to be more productive, if you're trying to be happier, if you're trying to be whatever, and you're not looking at your technology use, I mean, for the average American, it's 60 hours a week. And so, so we now spend more time with technology than we've spent sleeping. And so the idea that, at least in my mind, is that that is a rich reservoir of potential time that, that one way or another can be used in better ways and ways that will make you more happy and ways that will make you more productive. And so as long as you keep working on that environment and, you know, your, your environment's not going to complain. Your, your smartphone's not going to complain if you remove a social media app. And in fact, if you re- they decide might have to reinstall that app. They might be creating an app that's like <laughs> screaming as you're like trying to uninstall it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And they reinstall like instantaneously. If you've ever deactivated a social media account, you'll realize like how did how did it reactivate so fast? <laughs> it's 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 very superficial when you remove it anyways. And so you can easily go back onto it. I've met people also who who will they'll only allow the app onto their phone during the weekends. And so it's just it's very easy to try a few different things. And, and figure out a way to, to get to a healthier place with it. But there are a lot of options. And as long as you keep working on the environment and not beat up yourself, I mean, you're, you're up against some of, the, some of the best kind of behavioral modifiers on the planet. And so, so it's, it's, it's absolutely an uphill battle, but I think it's, it's worth doing. And I think that the, the people you love, the people you live with deserve you being mentally present when you're physically present. I think that's it's such a crucial piece of living a healthy life, of living well. And to the extent that we can use technology to do that, we should. And to the extent that technology is getting in the way, I think we need to push it to the side. That's terrific. Well, we're going to come back in a couple of seconds. We're going to tell them how they can find you, find your website, get more information, find out about the book you've written. This is such a timely topic, really great information for our time. And so thank you so much for coming on and talking with us about it. Yeah, thank you so much, Paula. I really appreciate your time. That was Pete Dunlap, author of Digital Detangler, A Guide to Mindful Technology Use. If you'd like to learn more about Pete, his book, or his Digital Detangler family services to help families embrace healthy digital habits, please visit us at livehappynow.com and we'll give you links and more information. We hope you're already a subscriber to Live Happy Now, but if you're not, you can find us on the Pandora Podcast Network, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Just look for us on your favorite platform and then hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. That is all we have time for this week. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.